So welcome, 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 everyone. It has been a couple of months since we last caught up here in Shoutbox, but it is so good to be back. Things have changed. I took a break in February just for a little bit. I was making a bunch of art and doing a lot of things, and I lit this slip just long enough for a virus to appear. It's been a different world. You know, one of the things I've been doing a lot of thinking about, because I have a lot of time, as I is you know, just this whole idea of what I miss from society. I, you know, there's so many people who I love to talk to and see in person, grab lunch with and make art with, and I don't get to see them anymore. And you know, for me personally, I'm, I'm half deaf. Uh, a lot of my interaction with people are very visual. I, I love seeing faces. I love seeing lips move. It helps me to track on, on conversations subconsciously, you know, I know, but also just the whole idea of not being able to touch people and, and, and hug and hold hands and dance and, and, you know, breathe the same air as folks has been, you know, kind of hard. But it's also got me thinking about the whole idea of making space and taking space, your own identity. What spaces do you feel safe in that you feel uh, you are able to be intimate in, that you're able to to be vulnerable in and how we craft these spaces that we work in and play in and live in and how much harmony can exist when you can have this on a 24-7 basis, but how that's not always achievable. Everything I've been thinking about, uh, you know, I, I'd had some really great discussions with a friend of mine, Anthony Sims, who I wanted to join us so we could talk about all these things. So Anthony, welcome to the program. Great. Thank you for having me. Let's talk a little bit about you. You know, I know you as a performance artist. One of the things you talk about is how you're an interdisciplinary time-based performance artist, but you have a, a mission, and your mission is to embody Black and queer experiences through performance. How did you find performance? Where did you start? Oh, gosh. Um, so, <laughs> I've had a long journey within the performing arts, even though I am so young. <laughs> it, it, it's kind of funny. Whenever I was little, I remember I was either five or six, and I wanted to be a clown. I wanted to just make people smile. I would often wear a clown suit to go to the grocery store with my own mother to buy groceries. That's how dedicated wow. I was to this craft huh. of clowning. And so later on, I think my mother took me to see a play. It was at this children's theater back in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I'm from. And I fell in love with acting. And so my mom took me to elementary school of performing arts, where I started my acting career. And I went to a middle school of performing arts. And in seventh grade, my mother passed away and she was a single mother. I used theater from that point as an escape, me playing a character, me not really expressing myself on stage. And so I continued my theater studies in high school and I got my undergraduate degree in musical theater. But with my theater work, I noticed that I was unsatisfied with that work. I was unsatisfied with playing a character that was not myself. I was unsatisfied because I was only cast in a play. If the play dealt with oppression, me being oppressed as a Black man, or me playing a stereotype as a Black man on stage. I don't usually use this word a lot, but we are often ghettoized on stage, meaning that it seems as though 
playwrights and theater are saying that a Black universal perspective exists, meaning that all Black people are the same, all Black people talk the same way. And that's not something that I felt was true to my core identity. And I was not one of the most favorable students in undergrad because I was really rebellious with art and things like that. So I was not cast a lot in undergrad. And so I remember being depressed in the middle of my undergraduate studies and I was on Netflix. I think it was Netflix where I discovered the artist is present. And I know that's a cliche, Marina Abramovich, performance artist, la, 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 la. But it really opens up a perspective of performance for me. After I finished that documentary, the next day I got a tattoo of Marina Abramovich on my right arm. (laughs) So it really opened up a lot for me to realize that pretend time within theater is something that I wasn't interested anymore. I was interested in working on art that is here and now and speaks from Anthony's mouth versus a character's mouth, me being a creator of experiences of my life versus an interpreter in playing Hamlet the millionth time that it's being done. Do you get what I mean by that? I totally get what you mean. I have an interesting relationship with the performance myself because there's an aspect of it that I very much embrace and I very much feel runs through my work, but I have traditionally created a bubble and stood outside it in which I I love to craft these, I refer to as adventures for us all to explore together and craft. But then I take a step back for the final translative process. And a lot of that I've been really examining myself. Why is that? Do I feel sated having someone else perform those words I've written? Is that something that is me or is it something I'm hiding from? And so I've been exploring a lot about you know what that means as a creator. What What is my actual voice? And, and trying to explore that through myself. What, what actually is Chris Olson saying? To your point, what is Anthony's voice? What does that mean? Is fascinating to hear. The thing I find about performance in general, whether it be dance or, or singing or you know music in general, is that you're using your own body as your instrument, right? You're mm-hmm. using it as your, as your translating tool. But it all has to be driven by some form of experience. Mm-hmm. One of the things I, I find to be really intriguing about the couple of pieces I've seen of yours, during this pandemic, there was a period of time where you were doing, I believe it was a piece a day, actually, yes. uh, and streaming live, which was really phenomenal. The The work, you actually gave it a term, and I, I forget what the term is. Uh, tableau vivant. Yes, tableau vivant. But it was about the duration of the work. It was about the endurance of being in that work, of like not seeing or cutting off your senses or things. You know, talk to me a little bit about what, you know, what we were trying to attempt. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Well, the thing is, I'm still in an MFA in acting program, and I'm transferring in the fall to MFA in performance program at the School of the Art Institute. And so me being in classes, I am told ways in which you are a good artist. I'm told this is one way and you need to be a good actor. There's only one way in order to approach this work of theater. And that is something that I just find really crazy to like tell a young artist, you know, you need to do this in order to be successful. Over the last couple of months, I've been reading a bunch of performance studies books and it talks about how everything you do is performance. Literally, performance 
is in everyday life. It's in cooking. It's in business. It's in technology. It's in sex. And there's, I believe there's eight total, but only one of them is within art itself. And so what I wanted to do was to create a series of tableau vivants. And tableau vivant is a French term. It means living image. And so what I wanted to do was create an image that was not attached to a narrative that is usually done within theater, a story, a plot. I wanted to create an image in which I sat stillness, silence, and exist to simply exist. And to exist is also performance. And people don't realize that. So what I wanted to do was slow my heart rate down, slow everything down around me. And there was a certain energy within the room in which I was performing. And so what that did was it makes me hear things differently. It makes me hear the room a little bit differently. It makes me I know this kind of sounds weird, but um, whenever I was in those images and I was just sitting there, the room started to move. So what does that say about how busy we are flooding our mind and our conscious with media, with vision, with everything, and to simply slow that down and have life catch up with us in those moments was something that I really wanted to explore. And I wanted to have my theater community look at this work and say, you know, okay, I'm not watching a story. I'm not watching you tell me how to feel, but what do I gather? What do I interpret from this image versus me spoon feeding an audience with a song, with lyrics, with dialogue? So it's really about the audience too, in a way, it really gives the audience a chance to say, okay, is this order or is this chaos? Is this formed? Is it formless? Or does any of this matter at all? And I'm sitting with you and that's all that counts. How does it feel to you as a performer, not having an audience or at least not having a traditional audience in, in that moment? Hmm. That is a good question. Well, the thing is, I came to this conclusion about a year or two ago where I, well, I actually started creating performance art pieces for about four or five years now, but I came to the conclusion two years ago because I'm always surrounded by a theater community that a lot of people are not going to be interested in my work. A lot of people are not going to quote unquote get my work because they are always searching for an understanding, uh, a getting something, but kind of my work is about your own interpretation. So there's no true way of getting or understanding something. So I always have known that a lot of people are not going to be interested in my work because most of my community is theater people. So there's this quality are this notion that I'm kind of attaching to my work that, you know, like I said, everything is performance. Therefore, you don't even have to have an audience in order to perform. There's this term in 19, I think it was in the 1950s. I forgot his last name, but his name is Alan. And he created this movement called Happenings in which there's no plot, there's no narrative. It's you simply existing and responding to the world around you, and there's no audience. And so I thought, hmm, 
okay, well, maybe I don't have to have an audience all the time. Maybe I'm going to do this work just for me. And it really doesn't matter if people see that or not. I know at the end of the day that I created something. And it's really interesting because I think that also speaks to social media as well. I deleted all of my social media about two or three months ago. And it really shows how my life and how our life is structured on taking pictures, posting something. And at the end of the day, it really shows that we are just trying to show that we exist. Yes, we are trying to show that we are someone for someone to scroll by and to press a tap on the screen or something and say that we like what we just saw. Therefore, it feeds onto your ego of, I am liked. So it really shows I want to create this work for myself versus the public's admiration, kind of like with theater, with curtain calls. You know, at the end of a play, you take a bow and people applaud for you. Traditionally, back in the day, that was to thank the audience for coming. But now it's to thank the performer for being so quote unquote talented with the work. And so it really shows, it really has opened up a way for me to see my work and actually approach this work for Anthony. I actually don't know that I was aware of the curtain call thanking the audience, but that is absolutely the feel I generally have. When I've invited someone to the work, I am so happy that they came. I'm so happy that they they willingly chose to absorb or, or engage with the work. And there is an appreciation there. To have someone come up and give me accolade or thank me afterwards, while appreciated, there's something that just feels a little off about it at the same time. I'm happy that they've engaged. I used to go incognito to my gallery shows. You know, I would do these sort of sculptural and photo works, but I, I love to sit there because it was fun to overhear what people actually thought. <laughs> who didn't know mm-hmm. who Adam, you know, because to me, that's the raw stuff. You, you know, you get the offhand, you know, it's a whole idea of like, like sitting in the audience while someone's seeing your work so that they can, you know, you can really get the, the, the people's ideas. I personally do feel that, yes, I am making a work and I would love to connect with people about what that work is about. At the same time, their interpretations of the work are, are equally fascinating to me. How, what what they bring to the table and how they read and what it means to them. It's it's really exciting to hear this idea that you've embraced, though, about making work for yourself, because I have a hard time with that. I make the best work when I am doing it for myself, and then it becomes this wrestling point between you wanting to share the work and almost not wanting to because it's almost too personal, and it was kind of for me, and, and, and. You know, it's this fascinating yes. sort of steel edge, you know, Um Yes. Also, how an audience can relate to that, you know, how an audience can relate to it being so personal. The thing that has really been sticking out to me over the past couple of years, one of the reasons why I began exploring other you know, ways to open myself up, is this realization that I was doing some self-censorship. It wasn't necessarily about ideas. It was about identity. I was doing some identity censorship. I wasn't sharing all of myself. And so I was repressing or oppressing a a component of myself. And I was trying to figure out what that meant. And that is why this idea of uh, trying to find spaces in which you were able to have that vulnerability and trying to find those connections in which you're able to, to express that as fully as you can kind of comes back full circle to this idea of creating a space or making space for that thing that you actually are which at the same time is kind of exhausting mm-hmm. because uh, all I would hope for everyone on the planet is that they are able to exist in their truest form 
and not feel like they have to to defend it. And I think that one of the, the things I'm intrigued about your work is the idea, you know, that you know, just you 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 know, I have personal experiences far different from mine. You have personal viewpoints, you know, far different from mine that are so informative and so important. And this idea of, of embodiment that you were really working to embody the black and the queer and presenting that. And you are creating space. You are making space. You are taking up space because that space doesn't necessarily exist everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I, I really don't want to put words in your mouth here. I would love to hear you know some of your thoughts based off of that. But the thing for me is, I feel like in, in a lot of cases that there there are you know large groups of people and small groups of people who have to pump air into a room so they can step into that room to be who they are. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you know, yes. I find that just I find it sad. Number one, but I also find it that to be very powerful. That person, you know, whoever that might be, is taking the time to do that, to defend, to create that space and work through that. But I also know that it's very taxing because it's like, I just really just want to exist. You know, what's what's mm-hmm. the issue? I think part of the work with performance is also like, it's very personal, but it's also very community-based and it's community-based unintentionally, if you know what I mean. Because what I usually do, I usually kind of get inspiration from things that no longer exists. I always look at the media and it's kind of sad, but I draw inspiration from things that are deceased, things that are no longer structured, things that are no longer present with us. For an example, like police shootings, um, for an example, you know, things from the past. And so I also kind of relate my life to these individuals that have been victims of police brutality. And I relate my life to queer experiences with people with police brutality and Marsha P. Johnson and the Stonewall uprising in New York, because the queer people of color were at the forefront of that fight. And that is not recognized. The people of color that are part of the queer community are still being looked at as less than with our skin color. And there's also colorism within our own communities. So my work is not even just white versus black. It's also black versus black, because we're all fighting each other. And I find that present within my work as well, because it doesn't just say, oh, I'm a victim all the time. I'm a victim. I'm suffering. I'm suffering. It says we all have a lot of work to do. And so that kind of creates a universal relation, I guess, to where it's not just Black people that can relate. It's also everyone else, if that kind of makes sense. But also being so personal with my life. You know, one of the conversations that really drew me into you was learning about your personal basis and this, and how you were performing these non-traditional spaces, and 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 what 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 that performance was was not a traditional performance to begin with. What you were doing was bringing experience out there and just kind of putting it in people's faces to some degree, not not confrontationally necessarily, although perhaps some of that. Uh, if if I, I there was a story you were telling me about you you had like a a, a briefcase or something you would carry around with yes. you yes or a bag oh my gosh I can't believe yeah you tell me about that again that. <laughs> but um 
in my closet right now, I actually have a huge duffel bag of over four, I think it's 4,000 and something. There's an exact number, but there's over 4,000 images of deceased black individuals that have committed suicide or victims of police brutality. Everywhere I go, if I don't bring the entire duffel bag itself, um, I take a handful and I put it in my pocket before I leave my apartment because it feels as though my community is forgotten. It feels as though it's become more of a statistic with these people passing away. And so I always want to breathe life within this forgotten community within attached to my living body moving around the world. So I'm always in performance with these individuals. I can't believe you, you remember that. That's crazy. (laughs) It really attracted me to you. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to misuse that term, but one of the things about attraction is there are people who you are drawn to. and, And that story was something that that really drew me, you know, because to me, what is art? Is art, you know, a, a codified form that you put on a gallery wall? Is it a codified performance you put on, you know, everyone is wearing their costumes and they have their makeup just so, and there are the footlights, and there's the audience, and the curtain comes up and down? Or is it is it this idea of you are presenting people with an experience? Mm-hmm. And the experience here is... Do not forget. Mm-hmm. Do not forget. Each of these bodies, each of these personas, each of these identities is important. And do not forget. That is powerful. That is powerful shit. You know, and you are just activating this. That is just an energy that you are bringing. There. That is a. Uh, that is a power that you have created, and that is a again a space that you are making. To honor these individuals, to to force that back into the world, to re, to remember. And it's funny that you mentioned Stonewall too. Uh, I I visited New York with my oldest um, last summer, and it was the fiftieth anniversary of Stonewall, and they had this remarkable exhibit uh, at the New York Public Library. And what was amazing about this was that it wasn't only photographs taken during this period of time and, and sort of archival pieces, but it was uh, all of this self-generated literature mm. and art mags and stories and writings. It was transformative because just seeing again, this need to say these experiences exist, whether you choose to see them or not. Mm. And we're going to show you them so you cannot not see it. Mm, mm-hmm. Talk about a way of claiming space. Talk about a way of making space. You know, it was it was amazingly powerful. You know, that began the birth of LGBTQ specific centers and, and hubs around the country, communities that were just like this this whole we are out and proud. What is what is coming out mean? It's it's come to it's come to have begun. Yes. To me, the the realization I've had just recently is that this coming out is I am choosing to make space again for my whole self and for you to see me. I'm 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 taking off the mask. I'm I'm not pretending anymore. But I am choosing this for myself, and you know this should have no negative impact upon you because this is about me. But I am choosing me. 
Yes. Oh, yes. And there's a thought in my mind whenever I use those images and I carry around those images. There's a thought in the back of my mind, like, one day I will be part of this group whenever I'm gone and who will carry me around. And so that really makes me think of wanting to create a path for me to be seen and for me to have a voice. But also what's really important is that people are hearing my voice. And that makes me think of, there's this term, I believe it's the, there's this clear divide and one side is make believe art, which is codified art, codified theater, storytelling, something that is not yourself. And on the other side, there is make-belief art, which is art that is um, about yourself, which is about your identity, which is about race roles, gender roles. And so I always want to be on that side of make-belief art. And there's this quote, and I think you just made me think of it. I forgot who said it, but it really stays true to what I want to do. And the quote was, the reason I work as an artist is to have a sense of self, a sense of future, and a sense of becoming. And that really resonated with me. So much of humanity is on this lifelong journey to understand who they really are. When talking about oppression and talking about repression... It's all about power. I never really understood who the man was, only that I was against the man. And it wasn't you know, until <laughs> uh, I started realizing that, that the man, the patriarchy, is these energies that are about othering. These energies are about repressing in power, that putting one group or one belief or one societal action as being the correct path and, and, you know, belittling or undermining the others, you know? So as imperfect as we humans are, it's the striving for perfection that's important. It's a striving towards understanding. It's a striving toward intimacy and this connection with ourselves, which I think is going to, you know, allows you to connect with others. And, you know, I think that's what, you know, life is all about. And, you know, Anthony, I think one of the things that's so impressive is that you've you know, begun this journey very early on in life, which is really awesome because it takes other folks, you know, my, myself included, it took me a long time to just figure, you know, to figure out what I didn't know. Mm. But at the same time, you know, I think everyone's always questioning. It's just a matter of when you start to learn things that that really start to resonate. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Thank you for your kind words. I would say the reason why I'm doing this work kind of early in my life is because I've dealt with a lot of things already so far in my life, like the death of a mother, the um, not having a relationship with my father, being raised by my grandparents who live a traditional lifestyle back in the old days of where you don't talk about queerness, you don't talk about your feelings, the wife fixes the food fixes everything, cleans while the husband goes to work. And so I was raised from that lifestyle of, well, honestly, I haven't heard the words, I love you from my family in the past 
four or five years. And so that really has made me grown and realize that, you know, I wanted to create art that's not really about me singing and dancing around like I did in musical theater, smiling, saying that life is all happy all the time. (laughs) <laughs> where my life it really wasn't so why am i putting this illusion on you know and not to say that i'm depressed oh my gosh life is terrible but i want to create that sense of how mysterious how unknown life is and i believe albert einstein said wait what did he say he said the most beautiful thing that we can experience is the mysterious and that is the essence of true art and true science and that really stuck with me as well oh absolutely i'm so glad that you brought that idea up because the whole reason why i do anything is i, I want to be able to appreciate the things i don't understand it's not always i need to necessarily know what it is the goal of my educating myself is not to learn everything it's because i want to constantly be learning everything <laughs> yes if you oh, fully yes. learned it you know that then you you know then what what's left i think of romance as being making mystery out of the mundane and mm. I, I also think that this idea that you just brought to the table that that you know musical theater about playing happy or or, or you know smiling all the time and dancing around you know reality can be very joyful but it doesn't look like that having those conversations like this where we're able to do some soul bearing and just talk about things that really matter to us is what I think the world is supposed to be about. It's about sharing, you know, sharing ourselves with each other uh, in uh, with, with care and love and respect. Uh, Lord help me. The world needs more and more of that, but you know, it, 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 at least we can do it between ourselves, you know? Yeah, I, I was going to say that musical theater way it seems as though it's kind of like an escape from life, you know, because, you know, <laughs> it makes you think of like who the hell actually runs around on the streets and starts singing and dancing off of like walls and stuff like that. <laughs> it seems right, like right. an illusion, an escape from this reality. <laughs> and yet, but to that very point, the reason why I do feel that people are able to escape into that is because I guarantee that a large percentage of people have spent that late night with that one person that they they were crushing on so hard and it was the most perfect night and they were feeling that exact moment in their heart and that is what reality is about that is you know when when you have those moments of joy they're almost impossible to to explain sometimes and that is that's the job of the artist find a way to translate into something that that uh, is able to communicate to the rest of the world how you felt that night what that first kiss was like, what what it was to just actually graze the hand of someone that you have an electric connection with, you know, what does oh, that yeah. look and like? And maybe people actually know? want to do that internally, you know, maybe people yeah. actually do want to sing, but they just don't have the guts to do it, so. That's absolutely it. <laughs> <laughs> it has been remarkable having you on the show. How can people find out about your work? What, what can they, where can they go? I have just made a new website. It is anthonyjsims.com. It is Sims, S-I-M-S, kind of like the video game. And I'm still trying to work around how to make my work more accessible since I deleted social media. So 
it's to be announced right now, but my website is up and running. Well, that it's fantastic. It's great to learn more about you know, your background. But again, we will have you back on the show for sure. Thank you for making time for us. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> Well, this has been phenomenal. I, I so appreciate Anthony Sims joining us on the program. And again, visit his website, anthonyjsims.com. So this has been you know, great getting back into the show here with Anthony Sims. I really appreciate him making an appearance with us and being able to talk through some art and making space. So if you want to see more of Anthony's work, make sure to check it out at anthonyjsims.com. I'd just like to take a moment to thank everyone for joining us for today's program, especially want to thank our uh, lovely engineer, Philip Undering, for working on the show with us remotely. I'd also like to thank Sven at Blue Box Studios for the editing work. Lastly, I want to make sure to give a shout out to Melody Jane Wachtel of This Is The Stick Up for our phenomenal theme song. So we are back on track and we'll be doing another show next month. We appreciate your patience during the pandemic pause and so glad to have you back. So be safe, be well, wear your mask, and stay the fuck inside. Love you, take care.